Good evening. Good afternoon, buddy. We are resuming our study of demonology. It's not my favorite subject to talk about, to be honest with you, but there's a lot of misunderstanding around this topic. And so last time we talked about it, we looked at Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, and I think we covered that pretty well. And we saw how some people like to take those passages as referring to human beings. Isaiah 14, they'll say is king of Babylon. Uh, Ezekiel 28 is the king of Tyre, and they'll say that's exclusively talking about human beings. Some will even say, like with Isaiah 14, Babylonian mythology is also part of the text. Uh, I disagree. I think that, yes, human beings are involved in both cases, but there are spiritual powers at play behind the human rulers. We see that in the book of Daniel. We have the prince of Persia, which is a demonic power behind the rulers of Persia. And so you have spiritual forces manipulating human people, and uh, those spiritual forces are demonic. So in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, when we look at the description of these people, we see that it goes beyond the human ruler to a spiritual being that was created by God, was in Eden, was perfect, is a guardian cherub. None of these things can literally pertain to those human rulers. So it has to be referring to something else. And the way that the description reads compared to New Testament passages, the only person who fits the bill is Satan. So now we're going to look at some New Testament passages today. We're going to look at Revelation 12 and Luke 10. And we're going to start in Revelation 12 because I honestly think it's the key. I think that this passage breaks everything down in such a simple manner and helps us interpret the other passages that may be a little bit less clear. So in uh, Revelation chapter 12, it really gives us a summary of redemption history. And so we'll start in verse number one. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she being with child cried, travailing in birth and pain to be delivered. So this woman, it's debated, is this talking about Mary? Is this talking about Eve? Is this talking about Israel? Well, the Messiah came through Eve, through Israel, through Mary. So I don't think nitpicking is necessary. I will say, though, that based on Joseph's dream, which involves the sun and the moon and the 12 stars, this is most likely a reference to Israel. Israel's often referred to as a woman, uh, the daughter of Zion, uh, the, the bride of the Lord in the Old Testament. So I think this is referring to Israel, and most commentators that take Revelation literally also believe that. So moving on to verse number three, it says, and there appeared another wonder in heaven. So we're setting the stage. Okay. So we have the woman giving birth to the Messiah. Uh, Jesus is the seed of the woman. This goes all the way back to Genesis chapter three, verse 15. But now there's another player introduced, another wonder in heaven. And it says, this wonder is a great red dragon having seven heads and 10 horns and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and it cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. So we have Satan introduced in history uh, before the Messiah came, before Jesus came down from heaven and was born of the Virgin Mary. The devil has been doing all that he can to prevent that. Uh, even at the birth of Christ, we know that he stirred up Herod to kill the children, the male children of Bethlehem. And so this is no doubt a reference to that. Uh, but it's been going on even 
before that. Uh, I think that whenever the Pharaoh moved to eradicate the male children of Israel, the devil was behind that. Uh, there's uh, later on in history, whenever Israel became a monarchy, we have Athaliah, who is an evil queen, uh, who tries to eradicate the line that Christ came from. And so we have lots of different attempts in history to keep the Messiah from coming. Once he comes, Herod was moved by the devil, no doubt, to try to get rid of Messiah when he was a baby. And then later on, the devil takes a different approach whenever he tries to tempt Jesus. At this point, Jesus has come. Uh, the only way that he can prevent redemption from happening is by disqualifying the Messiah by getting him to give into temptation. But anyways, right here in verse 4, it says that his tail drew the third part of the stars. So the way this has been described by commentators, and it gives you a good picture to think of, because again, this is all visual for John. He's seeing this stuff acted out in a visionary way. And so when he looks up at the heavens, he sees a dragon there. And this dragon is falling from heaven, head first. And as it comes down, it says that its tail drew apart a third part of the stars of heaven. So he draws with him these stars. Now, these stars represent angels. Uh, if you go back to the book of Job, that's made clear. The stars sang for joy when the earth was founded. Uh, the stars are parallel to sons of God in that passage. The sons of God come before God in Job chapter 1. Satan was among them, so we know Sons of God, stars of God, these are references to angels. So the third part of the stars falling from heaven is no doubt a reference to a third part of angels being brought down with the devil when he falls. So it says that he drew the third part. Drew gives us the idea of deception. He deceived them. They willingly went along. But if you were to look at this word in the Greek, and this goes along with what John is seeing, as the devil falls, it says that he dragged down a third part. So he pulled them down. So yes, though they willingly listened to his lies, he is uh, in this vision described as pulling them down. So it's like he's going down. Okay, He sinned as soon as he rebelled. He is set to fall. God cast him from heaven, but he doesn't go by himself. It's like whenever... An animal is writhing in their death throes like a snake. They can still bite. They can still inflict damage. Um, you know, even if you were to like go hunting for alligators or crocodiles, all right, in their death throes, that that lashing tail is very deadly. Mm -hmm. And so, when he's being brought down from heaven and he's being cast out, he's bringing down with him other angels. Uh, of course, like I said, they're willingly following him. But in the vision, it's depicted as him dragging it down. So this is referring to the fall of Satan. Now, the question is, which fall? Uh, if you keep reading in the same chapter, look with me a little bit further uh, to verse 7. It says, And then there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. That's obviously referring to Satan, as we'll see. The dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not. Neither was their place found anymore in heaven. And the great dragon was cast down. That old serpent called the devil and Satan. So we know exactly who this is, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Now, if you read a lot of commentaries, there are a ton of people who will apply this description of war in heaven to mm. the original primeval fall of Satan before Adam and Eve were tempted in the garden. Right. I disagree because if you follow the chronology of this summary, because that's what chapter 12 is. We have the woman who has not yet given birth. So the Messiah has not yet come. 
by the time she is in labor pains and she's about to deliver, Satan is standing before her in verse number four. He's standing where? He's standing on the earth after having fallen from heaven with a third part of the stars. Then it says in uh, verse number five, she brought forth the man child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron and her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. So this is after his death, burial and resurrection. He ascends to heaven. Verse number six, then the woman fled into the wilderness where she hath the place prepared of God that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and three score days. That skips forward to Jacob's trouble, right? Where Israel is chased by the devil and God gives her a place. Tribulation. Yes, tribulation. Okay, but uh, he, he doesn't tend to pursue her and he fails. And that's why later on it says that he turns around and he tries to pursue the, the remaining Jews who are not in the wilderness sanctuary and he tries to eradicate them. But uh, if you follow the just the progression of the passage, it appears here that the war in heaven isn't until halfway through the tribulation. Hmm. So you don't see that war in heaven with Michael casting out the devil right. until Israel is sheltered in the wilderness. And, and so based on that progression, just a plain sense reading of the text, there are two falls that are described here. And, and again, I've looked at a lot of different commentators from a dispensational premillennial background, and this appears to be the, the consensus among them. The first fall is the fall that happened in history at the very beginning, before Adam and Eve sinned. Satan tried to overthrow God to be like the Most High. He was cast down. When he was cast down, he wasn't cast down alone. He had a third part of the angels following him. So that's where we get this idea of there being a third part of the angels fallen. That's how many demons exist today. Um, and then he continues to operate on earth. That's why in Job, whenever the Lord asked the devil, like, what have you been doing? Where have you been? Well, he's going up and down in the earth. Okay. He's roaming about seeking whom he may devour, as Peter says. So that's where the devil's operating. That's where the fallen angels are operating is on earth. They don't have any uh, position in hell. Okay, they're not chained there. There is one particular group of angels that are in hell today, and that's because they sinned before the flood, and they had marital relationships. Marital's a, a nice sanitized way of saying it, but they have sexual relations with the daughters of men, and so they have Nephilim. These angels took it a step further. Not only did they follow Satan in his original rebellion, but they also did something that crossed the line so as they were sent to hell before their time. Uh, the devil has not been in prison yet, and a number of fallen angels haven't either. Those angels that were in prison apparently went even further than the devil and the other fallen angels did. No doubt the devil is the one who ordered them to do this, but uh, in doing so, they were chained prematurely in hell. But uh, here, again in chapter 12, we see Satan operating on earth until in the tribulation, Halfway through, whenever the Israelites flee into the wilderness, there's war in heaven. And Michael, who's going to intercede for the people of Israel, is going to battle against Satan. This is mentioned in the book of Daniel. Michael will rise during that time of Jacob's trouble. So Michael battles with the devil. The devil is cast down. And look at what happens next. It says in verse number 10, I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. 
So he is currently accusing believers in heaven. I don't know how often he does his day and night seems to be an idiom for continual. So it seems to be something he regularly engages in doing. Uh, is he there every single day? I don't know. Uh, it says that the cherubim before the throne of God, they praise God singing, holy, holy, holy day and night. So again, day and night, I just think is an expression meaning often, but, uh, anyways, we know that he does do that today, and he did that in the days of Job. Uh, but according to Job chapter 1, he spent his time on earth roaming about, and he comes before God. So this is a regular thing. Uh, you wonder, like, why would God allow Satan to come before him? To me, the best analogy is whenever nations have been at war in the past, you don't live in the same country, you don't live in the same house with your enemies. However, on occasion, representatives of the enemy would come before you. And so that happened quite often. And there was sort of like a temporary peace that took place whenever like the general of the other army, if they came for peace talks, okay, obviously there's no peace between God and the devil, uh, but the devil is permitted on occasion to come before God and, and give a report as to what he is doing. He answers before God. And in the case of Job and in the case of this reference, we know that he's accusing us. I don't know if I've ever got on his radar, okay? I mean, I think the devil's probably got bigger fish to fry than Buddy from LJ, Georgia. Uh, but we do know that Job was on his radar because God put him on his radar. And so that's one of those things that I think bothers Christians if they're honest with themselves. Like, you know, gosh, you kind of threw Job under the bus, Lord. But we know that God used that situation to make Job stronger. And his testimony today is a blessing to millions. So we know that God brings good out of that bad, and, and Job was stronger than he was before. And God strengthens us uh, through a refining process. But we know that that accusation of the devil is always rebutted, is always responded to by our paraclete, okay, our comforter, uh, our defense attorney. And if you read 1 John, our defense attorney is none other than Christ, who stands before us as our defense attorney. So, He's our high priest. So you don't think the devil himself, Satan, the one guy, goes after anybody but somebody that is that, I don't know, influential. Yeah, okay, yeah. So all I know is that the devil's not omniscient. I know he's not omnipresent. And I know that there's a hierarchy. So Mm. he does have princes that they're stationed behind powerful political rulers. You get the prince of Greece is mentioned in Daniel, the prince of Persia. So since he is the one putting people in these positions, and no doubt they have people under them, there's a satanic hierarchy and then there's a you know a godly one i mean when we think about the throne room of heaven you get the four uh living creatures and then you have mm. the elders and so and, and then not everybody's an elder okay so apparently there's structures of authority in the spiritual realm if that's the case as scripture seems to indicate i doubt the devil has time to accuse every single christian on the planet um, i think that he's probably spending his time organizing the most effective rebellion he can uh, no doubt behind entities like, uh, you know, the, the World Economic Forum yeah. uh, or at work in Russia sure. with GOG yeah, or, yeah. you know, at work in China or at work here in the U.S. trying to undermine our Constitution but, and our biblical roots. You know, so all of these things, I believe, Satan definitely um, is engaged in. And we think Joe, we sometimes consider him to be you know, this average Joe, but I doubt that. I think that you got to consider when Joe was written. 
Job was written at a time probably before Abraham was even born. Right. This is post Babel. Right. Mankind is pretty centralized at this point. They haven't spread all over the globe. And Job apparently had a great reputation. So again, Job isn't just this average guy. He's very rich and he's got a righteous reputation. Mm -hmm. Uh, So he's really singled out by his influence, I believe, on those around him. Uh, So anyways, we don't know much more about Job, right? Other than what's revealed in scripture. Mm, But uh, I think that, yeah, I I don't know. And and I'm not the first one to say this. I had a pastor a long time ago that said, "I, I doubt that the devil's bothering with me. He probably has people under him. That that do right. a lot so do his dirty like work. Screw tape letters. Yes, exactly. Like yeah. we know that demons are actively deceiving and tempting and discouraging believers all over the globe. Right. Okay? right. I don't think any Christian goes their Christian walk without being uh, influenced by demons. It's just sure. a question of are those demons the high ranking right. demons like the devil or are they you know the grunts? I think of like this is strange, but I think of Sherman's march to the sea. Mm-hmm. Sherman's the one that gave the orders. Yes. But when you know, when you look back at history, they say, Oh, well, my house, my homestead, my city was burned in Sherman's March. Sherman himself probably didn't burn every single building. Right. Yeah, exactly. But yeah. it was But he gave the orders. Man. Yeah, his yeah. men, his call. Exactly. Um and of course God operates that way too. We know the Holy Spirit's in us, which is a special thing to think about. Like when we think about our relationship with God, does God just deal with us through intermediaries? No, the no, Holy Spirit actually direct. indwells us, which yeah. is pretty awesome when you think about it. That's and like, so when we get hexed, it's not a big thing. Because God's inside you. Yes, you don't have to worry about that. Uh, inside joke <laughs> there. Uh, you know, Matt, our assistant pastor here, was uh, hexed by a practitioner of witchcraft, and, and we're telling him that he ain't got nothing to worry about because <laughs> the Lord's inside him, and he's got him sheltered and sealed. But uh, anyways... Uh, so, yeah, I think that the devil is actively involved in this ac- this accusation, uh, and he, he goes before God on a regular basis. How often? Again, I don't know, uh, but he does it often, and he is going to cease that when God puts a stop to it. The mm-hmm. final rebellion, the last straw, will be halfway through the tribulation, as it says here in Revelation 12. He tries to overthrow God again. So this is a second attempt. And God casts him out, doesn't do it directly. God doesn't have to do it directly because the devil is not, you know, God's equal opposite. Okay. No, God doesn't have to not. get in the boxing ring with the devil. He sends Michael in. That's right. Michael's in it, his enforcer. And what's cool is since the rapture is pre-trib, we're going to be in heaven at this point and we're going to mm-hmm. get to see it go down. We're going to get to see the devil cast out. Mm. We'll probably be there during the tribulation when the devil apparently, okay, since he'll have this accusing, you know, uh, he'll he'll have this habit of accusing believers up until the midway. We'll be able to probably see the devil come before God. Mm. There are Christians in heaven today. They know what the devil looks like because the devil has come to heaven mm-hmm. and he's made accusations, which is kind of crazy to think about. It is. Yeah. Like they see him, they, they, they recognize him, but of course they have no fear in his presence because you know, they're in the presence of God and they, mm. they know who the top dog is. But uh, Michael is going to go forward at this point and cast out the devil. There's no hint that believers engage in battle at all. It says Michael and his angels, not the saints, the angels. Yeah. Why do so, so many preachers seem to make that indication that we do engage in some sort of holy war? I, I, mean, I think that it's exciting to think about. I yeah. mean, especially appeals to to guys. I believe, like yeah. I can, I can kind of feel some of that enthusiasm when I imagine the throne room scene you know, standing before God, holy, 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 yeah. Lord God almighty. And then I can Toss just, I can sword. just imagine like, God, give me a sword and put me on a horse. But doesn't, 
don't doesn't the church come doesn't the bride i should say come back with jesus we do and we are riding on horses but you'll know that it says that the lord he's the one he goes the before the sword. army yeah. and he smites them with his word right and so there's no indication that believers ever directly engage right. in battle we're, with demons. We're just there to watch them. We're just there yeah, to watch. Our old pastor would say, like, yeah, we're like, yeah, he would take the horses or they were, the, you know, on the horses and he would say like, oh, yeah, we're going to have swords and like we're going down, you know, and I'm like, where is that? <laughs> it's not, not there. there. It's yeah. just simply not there. But we'll see it and we'll praise God when we see it. Amen. Uh, but anyways, again, I'm just trying to show you from this passage which is a key passage because it, obviously it links the devil to his actions, not just in the end times, because this is of course an end times book, but it's linking things to the past. It says that he is that ancient serpent, the serpent of old. And this is talking about the serpent wind, that old serpent, the, the readers of serpent. John, yeah. what would they be saying here to themselves? Oh, that ancient serpent. In Genesis. That's the serpent yeah, in Genesis. In Genesis yeah. And this was not something that he revealed for the first time. In fact, I've been doing a little bit of reading uh, of Jewish tradition at this time period mm. because it's helpful to know what other Jews were saying. Mm. Obviously, a lot of the stuff they said was really off base, and that's why Jesus corrected them. But other things that they said were correct. That's why, for example, Jesus, you know, he approved of the Pharisees' belief in a resurrection. Yes. While he disapproved of the Pharisees' denial of the that's same. Right. So there are things that Jesus believed were correct about Jewish mm. teaching at the time, but there were things that he had to say that's wrong. And of course, he's the authority he helps us discern. But uh, for example, the life of Adam and Eve and Second Enoch, these are two books that date back to the first century, mm -hmm. roughly. Um, so we have later copies, but most scholars believe that they originally were composed at the time. So you have some interesting teaching that goes along with this. They, they believe that Satan... In the first century, by that time, he had already fallen for a long time. He had actually fallen uh, soon after the creation week. So if you read Second Enoch, they believe that Satan was created yeah. during the creation week. And I believe they said on day two. So, so it was early in the creation week, but they didn't believe Satan predated man by millions of years. That's a modern idea. The Jews were young earthers, by the way. So they believe that Satan didn't fall millions were. of years before. They were. were. They're not anymore. Uh, unfortunately, they're some Messianic Jews who probably are, but anyways, at the time they were young earthers. And, and so the angels are created during the creation week, some point during that time, soon after the creation, uh, it mentions that there was one particular angel in second, he doesn't mention his name. There was one particular angel who had an order of angels placed under him. God put orders of angels under all these mm -hmm. different leaders. Okay. Archangels. And one of them said, I will be like the most high. And when you see that statement, you're like, we know exactly what Who they're that connecting is, that right. to. Yeah, yeah. They're connecting that to Isaiah 14. He yeah. says, I will be like the most high. So That's there right. were Jews in the first century who connected Satan, who they were very well aware of. They had different names for him. Some sure. called him Samael, Satanel. They, but they were talking about the same guy. And they connected that with Isaiah 14. So mm -hmm. this idea that Isaiah 14 is talking about the fall of Satan, it's not a purely Christian thing. Uh, it's an ancient belief. Even the Jews connected the dots without the help of the New Testament. Mm -hmm. While the New Testament was written, before it was written, possibly, they had already seen in Isaiah 14 a reference to the leader of the fallen angels. Satan's mentioned in the Old Testament. In Zechariah, he stands and accuses Joshua. And uh, I think it's a Zechariah 4, I believe. Um, he accuses Job in mm -hmm. Job chapter 1. 
he moves David to take a census mm-hmm. in uh, I think it's Second Samuel and First Chronicles. Right. So uh, he is active, and and when they read Isaiah fourteen, they're like, "That's him right there. Mm-hmm. He's the leader of the demons, uh, the fallen angels." But anyways, that's one book at the time that uh, makes sense of this a little bit. Or you can see in light of that tradition, John is talking about two different falls. One, which was initial, uh, soon after the creation of the devil, but it wasn't final and full. Right. The devil still has temporary, you know, limited access to the throne, but he spends his time on earth. He spends his time orchestrating rebellion here. And so the Jews were well aware of this. But there's also this knowledge they knew that one day Satan would be finally defeated. Yes, And that's what's being talked about here in Revelation 12 also. So you have both pictured here. One in the past, one to come. Um, But another book that was written during this time period uh, was The Life of Adam and Eve. And guys, this one's really interesting. Because I wonder if this is based on a, a really old tradition there are aspects of this book that are clearly wrong. If you read it, you're going to be like, oh, that's outlandish. That's ridiculous. And it is. Some of it is. But it mentions that when the devil was first created, God told Michael to go around and tell all the angels, I made this man, this this man called Adam. He's made in my image. So this is special. I've not done this yet. Okay. I didn't even do this with y'all. And Michael told everybody of the angels to bow before Adam. Now, bowing before Adam here, because the Jews didn't believe in bowing to anyone but God, they didn't believe, no doubt, that this was bowing in terms of actual worship, like idol worship. But, you know, they believed that earth was given to man. Angels were not given the dominion. And so angels were, in effect, servants in the household while Adam and humans were going to be the sons and daughters in the household. Mm-hmm. And so they had a higher position and bowing down, taking the knee as you would do to, you know, a sovereign or ruler in ancient times. That was the, the fitting response to God creating Adam in his image. Well, Satan refused to do that. I'm not going to acknowledge Adam as my sovereign because I was created first and I'm a lot better than him. I'm a celestial being. He's made from the dust. And so this is depicted in the life of Adam and Eve. So if you ever wondered, like, why did Satan fall? The early church fathers mentioned two types of jealousy. One, they said that he was jealous of the son of God. Right. Uh, so they, they were jealous. He was jealous that the son shared equal authority with God, the father, and he felt like he ought to be like the most high equal to him. So that's one belief of the early church fathers. And I agree with them. I think that he certainly is jealous of the son. Uh, but two, they also mentioned that, Satan was jealous of man, that man was given special authority, a special relationship with God, and he felt like he had a right to have that at the very least, if not much more. And so anyways, these ideas that we see floating around um, at the same time that this book is written show that in the first century, they were very well aware that the devil had been fallen for some time. The reason I mention that is because a lot of these passages that you look at, modern commentaries, and again, modern. Not the ancient mm-hmm. and not the medieval, but modern commentators don't want to seem to admit that Satan has already fallen. Um, I noticed that a lot. It's like, oh, well, he fell, you know, metaphorically, figuratively when demons were being cast out or when he was resisted in the wilderness or when Jesus died on the cross, he was metaphorically cast out. But they keep going back to he hasn't been actually cast out yet. Uh, but based on 
Revelation 12 and some other verses that we'll look at, um, it seems that, yes, he has been yeah, cast right. out. But being cast out doesn't mean that he doesn't have some limited access to heaven. It's like Adam and Eve, were they cast out of the garden? Yes. But they were still able to come up to, to the, the right. gate of the garden. Yes. And they were able to commune with and, God. And But and, they weren't allowed in. So the right. devil, in a similar sense, a parallel sense, you might say, he's able to go before God in heaven, but he's not permitted to like vacation there, be comfortable there, call it his home because he's a rebel. He's the enemy. Yeah. He, and so anyways, uh, understanding some of these Jewish ideas, uh, all it does is I think confirm the traditional conservative view of the fall of Satan that it happened in ancient times. He really was literally cast out of heaven. Yeah. Uh, but he does on occasion come before God, but he can't overstay his welcome because it's always at God's permission. So God permits it, but it's limited for time. And then one day it's going to be fully accomplished. That is his fall will be fully accomplished. Now let's look at uh, another verse. It's in Revelation. Look at uh, chapter nine, Revelation nine, verse number one. So this also, most commentators believe is a reference to the devil. And I think that it is. The star falling from heaven. Yeah, can somebody read that for me? <clears throat> the fifth the fifth angel sounded and I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. The star was given the key to the bottomless pit. Good. Now, if you keep reading this, I mean, he opens the bottomless pit, locust comes out. It says that uh, the locusts are led by, in verse uh, 11, Apollyon or Abaddon. And in verse 11, it says that this king is the angel of the bottomless pit. So you, it's just referring you back to verse number one. So who's leading the locust? The angel of the bottomless pit. Who's the angel of the bottomless pit? Well, the one who has the key to the bottomless pit that was referred to in verse number one. So I think Apollyon Abaddon are titles uh, which befit the devil. He's destroyer. Uh, in John, he's called the first murderer, the murderer from the beginning. So Abaddon and Apollyon are no doubt references to the devil as the destroyer. Um, but anyways, it says in verse number one, stars fallen from heaven. Uh, now, John, I believe, is seeing this. He sees in his vision a star literally fall from heaven. And mm-hmm. that star, upon close inspection, is an angel that is given this key to open the pit. Mm-hmm. However, if you clearly look at, closely, what I'm trying to say, closely look at the Greek, it says that the star has fallen already. So it, huh. when, whenever he sees the star, this is not referring to a fall that's taking place. It's saying, it's saying um, there's the star that has already fallen yes, from heaven. Yes, it's already having mm. taken place in the past. Yeah. So when has this star fallen? Some would place this in the middle of the tribulation. They would say that this is referring to Michael casting out Satan halfway through. And so that's when he falls. Like, so that's what John is saying. Got to piece it together by sure. reading the different passages. And I mean, I, I don't think that that's a dumb idea. However, um, there's a problem. These trumpet judgments that are being described right. in Revelation 9, they precede the middle of the tribulation. The seventh trumpet basically marks the end of the first half of the tribulation. So this would be too soon for mm. that war in heaven between Michael and Satan. 
So when it's referring to Satan having fallen here, it's referring to what we read in Revelation 12 when it said Satan drew a third part of the stars and John's referring us back to an ancient time when Satan first fell. That's what's being referred to here. So he's already fallen in some sense, okay? But it hasn't been finally accomplished. And you know, this is something that we shouldn't be, I guess, surprised with. Uh, are we saved as Christians? Yes, absolutely. Mm. We're saved the moment we believe in Jesus. But have we received everything that God purchased for us through his son? No, we haven't received everything. So has Satan fallen? Yes, absolutely has. But has he fallen completely? No, because the Bible says in Ezekiel 28 and in Isaiah 14 that he's not just going to be cut to the ground. He's going to be brought down to the sides of the pit. Mm -hmm. Okay, the pit is lower than the earth. Right. So he was cast to the earth first mm. and he can still have some access to the heavens. But in Revelation 12, when that war happens midway through the tribulation, he's cast to the earth this time with zero access to heaven. Right. He can't go up anymore. Now there's yeah. only one more direction he can go. It's down, but he doesn't immediately go down yet. He still has that second half of the tribulation. And then he has a thousand years and then he's going to go down to the pit. Right. Of course, to be released again for mm -hmm. that final rebellion, which, of course, if you're asking me why, just don't ask me why, because it's, I don't really oh, no. know. I just know that's what the Bible describes. He will be set free after the thousand years for a short time. Right. But uh, Revelation 9, 1 again gives us reason to believe that Satan has indeed already fallen, which for a believer, that's common sense. But one more. Let's look at Luke 10, 18. And then we'll probably stop here uh, today because the next thing we're going to look at in this series, in the third part, is how should we interact with the idea in Scripture of spiritual warfare? How should we mm. approach demons? Some people believe in a very active, uh, in-your-face devil approach to spiritual warfare. And other people say, no. never, ever face them directly. No. Uh, we don't rebuke them even directly. Uh, we should pray in the name of Jesus. Yep. If we suspect that someone is demonically oppressed or possessed, but we don't directly challenge them because that's not our job right now in this dispensation. And even once we receive our glorified bodies in our in heaven, even then we're not going forth on the horses to fight against the demons. That'll be Michael and his angels. So we'll talk about how we should do battle. Cause we do battle certainly spiritually against these powers but do we address them like uh, even in certain movies and I, I like this movie uh the war room okay yeah it's a great movie there there's one scene in the movie where the main character goes yeah. around her house and and rebuking she the devil she's yelling and rebuking at the devil well what's interesting is as i watch that scene every time um uh, as much as i you know part of me emotionally wants to get on board with what's happening um in Jude 9, it says that when Michael came to retrieve the body of Moses, mm. he did not present to the devil a railing accusation. Mm. He didn't rail against him. He didn't yell at him. Okay? He didn't even rebuke him directly. In fact, he said, the Lord rebuke you. Right. He, said, he basically sees the devil because he can't avoid the devil's in his face. He's like, I'm not going to deal with you. The Lord's going to deal with you. And apparently the Lord responded to that 
and dealt with the devil so that way Michael could get the body. We don't know how all that mm-hmm. you know turned out. We just know that God sent Michael not to deal with the devil. He sent Michael to get the body of Moses. Mm-hmm. The devil intervened, and Michael didn't even, with all the power that he could have you know, summoned to battle against him, perhaps, he doesn't even attempt to. He does it. He's like, I'm coming for the body of Moses. You're getting in my way. The Lord deal with you. And so whenever we are going on this spiritual war, this war path to share the great commission, the devil's going to get in the way. Okay. He's going to get in between us and our goal. What's our goal? Is it casting out demons? No. Our goal is to lead people to Jesus and the devil will intervene with that. When that happens, how should we approach him? Okay. Certainly not in our own authority. No. but with the authority of Christ. And we'll talk about that uh, next week more. But in Luke 10, 18, uh, this also has to do with exorcism and demon possession because it says in verse 17, the 70 that he had sent out, they returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. Now, they were given special commission, by the way, and we'll see yes. this when we look at Matthew 10. It's a little different because that's with the, the 12 and not the 70, but they are parallel to one another, very similar. But in, in Matthew 10, it says he specifically gave them authority to cast out demons. Mm. Right. Now, if you read Matthew 28, the Great Commission, you'll notice something. It doesn't it's mention anything that. about casting out demons. Yep. Paul and all his letters, Peter, John, do they ever give us any instruction on how to go about casting out demons? Nope. No. Okay, so that's one thing that should be thought of um, and held on to whenever you're you know trying to make sense of all this. But anyways, he said to them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing by any means shall hurt you. Notwithstanding, and guys, this is so big, notwithstanding in this rejoice, not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Praise God. I could care less about some glorious battle, casting out demons, opposing fallen angels. I just want to know that I'm God's child and I'm eternally secure. And I think that's what he's saying. Don't get boastful. Okay. Don't let this go to your head. Right. All right. They're subject to you because I gave you that authority. But what you should really rejoice in is that you're saved. Yeah. And so that's the most important thing. And, and unfortunately, and I'm not saying this is the case of all of them, but a lot of deliverance ministries, they've missed the point. And the Absolutely. point is salvation, the gospel. Uh, but anyways, it says in verse 18, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Now, this is interesting because if you read like the ancient commentators like Tertullian and Origen uh, and a lot of medieval commentators, they're almost in agreement that this and I say almost there were other views, but there seems to be this general belief that when Jesus speaks of Satan falling here, this is his original fall. And what Jesus is basically saying is, I'm not surprised that you cast out demons. Mm. And that they were subject to you. I was there in the beginning and watched him fall from heaven when he did that first time. And that seems to be the way that the church fathers took it. Jesus was saying that what you're seeing now is only an extension of what I already saw. And what, of course, he was in charge of in the beginning. He was the one who gave the order. I was there. It kind of reminds me. Uh, I don't know if those who are listening like the Lord of the Rings. It's one mm. of my favorite series of movies. <laughs> And uh, I like I like J.R.R. Tolkien stuff, but there's this one scene where uh, Elrond, okay, this Hubbard, not not no, not Hubbard. (laughs) Elrond says, I was there, Gandalf. I was there. 
2000 years ago. And he goes on and he recounts the story of when he was there and he saw the bad guy Sauron beat a long time ago. Okay. And, and every time I, I, I see that scene, I can't help but think of this verse because they're saying, look, we're casting out demons. You know, we're having all this victory. And he's saying, guys, I was there in the beginning when Satan fell like lightning from heaven. I saw how quickly and how rapidly he fell. All right. Satan is not someone that you ought to be afraid of because you're mine. And I've given you in particular special authority over the demons. Mm. All right. I sent you out to cast them, cast them out. And so kind of like, um, um, I forget where they were, but the guys that were trying to exercise, um, I think it's in the book of Acts. They're trying to exercise these people or something. Yeah. The sons and, of Sceva. Right. Yeah. And they say, you know, I, I know Paul. No, I know Jesus or whatever. And I know who Paul is, but mm-hmm. I don't know who you are. Exactly. And yeah. they go running naked. Right. Basically. Or, exactly. So Jesus is expressing this familiarity with a past event that makes sense of what they're seeing. The right. reason that they're seeing say, uh, a Satan metaphorically being cast out of people when demons are being, you know, brought out of these possessed individuals, the reason that they're seeing that is because Jesus gave them that authority and he was there in the very beginning when Satan fell. So this is an interesting verse because of course it confirms what we know elsewhere. Jesus is eternally preexistent. Like he was there in the beginning. So Jesus, when he's speaking here, he's not speaking as Jesus, the man, Mm. he's speaking as the God man who was there in the beginning and saw this. So, that's pretty much the traditional view that he's recalling for their benefit, a memory of Satan being cast down. The question is, will the Greek allow that? Because some people argue, well, the most literal interpretation or translation rather is I was beholding Satan uh, like lightning fall from heaven. Mm. And they think that the was beholding refers to while they were out and about casting out demons. So he's saying, while you were casting them out, uh. I already was seeing it. So you're not telling me something new. I, from afar, spiritually, Mm. was witnessing this happen. And when it happened, it was as if Satan fell from heaven. And so they Mm. they take the falling from heaven as a metaphor. And it's not that that couldn't be used. I mean, we know in the Gospel of John, Jesus says, like, it is now time for Satan to be cast out. All right. And he said that in his ministry. And he was talking about going to the cross and paying for sin. but. To me, and I don't know, this is just me, okay? Y'all, you have the Bible too, to read it for yourself. But when I first read this verse years ago, as a, as a young man going through the Gospel of Luke, and I read, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven, what automatically came to my mind? Fell from heaven. Jesus was there when Satan originally fell from heaven. Yeah. Um, and this passage is no doubt associated with Revelation 9-1, where it says, I saw a star fall. It's no doubt associated with Isaiah 14. In fact, some of the, the words in Greek are, are similar enough that uh, even the scholars will say, yeah, it's probable that Luke here is thinking of Isaiah 14. And I know that Isaiah 14 refers to the original fall. And so when you put the pieces together, I think this is referring to the original fall of Satan. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, like I told you, early Jewish sources that date to this time period, uh, I mentioned some of them earlier, like Second Enoch, uh, they mentioned Satan falling from heaven. And they, they went back to Isaiah 14. Mm-hmm. And so how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, and, and Lucifer 
can be translated day star or morning star. Right. So Isaiah 14, a star falling from heaven. Here it mentions lightning, but lightning's probably referring to the fact that he falls quickly. And what's interesting also is that early Jewish sources, I don't know if this is true, but they believe that God made angels from lightning. So they believe that God made angels from fire. Now, again, that's not the weirdest thing in the world because we know that angels are fiery beings. Mm. Uh, we know that they move about like lightning. In Ezekiel 1, it depicts the cherubim moving about, flitting about as lightning. But they believe that Satan was literally made from something akin to lightning, to fire. And so... I read one article and it was, it was interesting because he mentions there's two points of similarity here. One, he says Satan fell like lightning and Satan fell from heaven. And both of those ideas, Satan falling from heaven and being as lightning because he was made from it. Mm. Uh, those ideas are present in sources outside mm. the new Testament. So again, adding all that up, it just seems to be that, Luke ten eighteen is Jesus referring to a time where he was in heaven and he saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Mm. And so that original fall illustrates a couple things. One, it illustrates that the devil is not all powerful. The devil is, is a weak, finite being, and the devil has already been brought low. It's a progress. It's a process. It hasn't been accomplished fully, but that first fall Mm -hmm. sealed his fate just as much as this when you first get saved that will be completed mm -hmm. now it hasn't been completed yet i haven't received my glorified body yet that's what i'm referring to i'm waiting for it and i'm waiting for it too mm -hmm. but when i first got saved it was done it was like the opposite of a fall from heaven yeah it's like spiritually i had the holy spirit at that point i was born again but it's progress, it's process. I haven't got all of what was promised. Mm -hmm. And I won't until either Jesus comes back or I die and go on to be with the Lord. Mm -hmm. And then I'll, and then I'll you know, have my faith turned into sight. But in a similar way, the devil, his fall, his initial fall, that sealed his fate forever. So it'd be like the opposite of eternal secure. It's eternal insecure. Mm -hmm. He descends, it, we ascend. Absolutely. And so... Mm. I, and it's interesting because that it goes right along with verse number 20. He says in this rejoice that not the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Yeah. Mm. So in a sense, like, like they have already, right. By having their names written in heaven, like they've already ascended, not physically because that hasn't happened yet. Right. But it's, it's done deal. And it's not of ourselves. It's all him. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and that's what he's saying here. Um, you know, he's the one who has the power. He's the one that has the authority. But again, like you said, like this passage is a beautiful comparison or contrast, really. The devil, he's already fallen to some extent. That's what Jesus refers to. But it's going to continue until the end. Be, it, it was continuing in his ministry and mm -hmm. it would finally be accomplished in the end times. Go ahead, Matt. Sorry. I said, I don't know how much further you can go than the pit. It's like, you know, lake of fire. The lake of yeah, fire is yeah. basically it. Yeah. Yeah. And then even, after that, there's I nothing mean, after. I'm not think the, the very very end. Is that when he gets thrown into the lake? The of lake fire? of fire. Yeah, that's yeah. the last. That's the final stop. And right. uh, and it's interesting, you know, because even believers that are in heaven, that's not their final place either. Right. Yeah. Uh, the Bible says their final place is on earth. Easy to forget that it is. You yeah, know, they'll be back it, with us. Oh, yeah. We'll be there with them. But, yeah. but, you know, yeah. they're, they're, they're yeah. in a blissful state. But think about it. Like I mentioned earlier that they have seen 
the devil come before yeah. God in heaven. So they're keenly aware that it hasn't happened yet. And, you know, I can imagine, like, if I was in heaven, right, and, and you know, we're in our righteous, like, we're righteous souls, no flesh, yeah, yeah, yeah. okay? Pure nature, mm. right? Holy sons and daughters of God. And we see the devil in his arrogance waltz before the throne of God and dare to accuse people that God has justified. Man, you can imagine, like, Look, we're wanting this to happen. Like, Lord, when are you going to cast this guy down? When are you going to wipe that grin off his face? And we kind of see something similar to that in Revelation when the martyrs are like, Lord, how long? How long? long?" I think Mm. they're probably already saying that, Lord, how long? How long? And the Lord says to him, it's going to happen. Don't worry. It's going to happen. He already fell that first time, and that ensures his final demise. And so uh, we'll talk more about the practical side to that next time. Uh, as we discuss exorcism, which is a really tough topic, guys, I've studied that so much and I still, um, I still got so many questions, but yeah. we're going to do our best to, to handle that topic biblically next time. God bless and have a good night.